0: it's here for the interns, huh? They did a great job. That's classic. And uh, shout out to Allstate. Thanks for that idea. Um, And and just before I forget, because last night at one of the services, I forgot to explain why there was a wine bottle up here and it was just up here the whole time and everybody was (laughs) probably trying to figure out what was going on. (laughs) So uh, we sent that one over to lock for it. Should be interesting. Somebody brought me this. This is the Seven Deadly Zens. I just thought, you know. Zinfandel. If you're into red uh, Zinfandel, they tell me this is a really, really good one, Seven Deadly. And I also got Seven Deadly Gumballs. There's one for, you know, every day of the week. You can have a, I don't know, it's, it's better than bacon. I mean, we're tired of that, right? Um, we're we're going to talk about envy today. I uh, heard about a guy who's walking along the beach and uh, found a magic lamp, you know, figured what the heck, and he rubbed it, and out came a genie, you know, just like it's supposed to. But this was a special genie. The genie said, listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a genie that teaches humility. I'm going to give you three wishes but I'm going to teach you humility because whatever you get, I'm going to give your worst enemy twice as much. So think carefully about what you want to ask me for. And I was like, well, I don't care what he gets. I want a billion dollars. Jenny said, okay, boom, here's a billion dollars. He gets a text. Guess what? Your, your worst enemy, your business competitor just sold his business for two billion dollars. A little envy started rolling around inside, you know, and he's like, oh, well, whatever. I want to be young and good-looking. Wish number two, I want to be young and good-looking. So, boom, he totally transformed into this, you know, young, good-looking guy and, uh, you know, gets a text from somebody, hey, look at what happened to your worst competitor, your worst enemy. Boom, he's more young and more good-looking than you. Now it's really starting to roll around, and he says, okay, I got to think about this. No, wait, I got it. I want you to beat me half to death. There's just something really, really simple about this envy problem going around inside of us, isn't it? And that's why we've been talking about the seven deadlies. I don't know, what makes you envious? Is it, is it cars? Is it looks? Is it money? Is it things? You know, is it ideas? I mean, because for me, like whenever I see a new invention and I think, ah, why didn't I think of that? Do you ever have that problem? Like the hands-free cell phone. I mean, I'm like, wow, why didn't I think of that? I could have figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> You know, I mean, that just makes sense to me, right? And here's a couple of other ones that I found. How about hairy leg stockings, ladies? If you want to go to the beach and not have anybody bother you, you put on the hairy leg stockings. Is that awesome? And, uh, you know, if you're into multitasking, how about the baby mop? That's not wrong. That's not wrong at all. The baby has no idea he's actually forming a function there. That's awesome. Um, This is my favorite, though, the anti-theft lunch bags. (laughs) They already have the little green spots in them, so nobody steals your lunch out of the how did the refrigerator work? And then I'm looking at that, I'm like, oh, I should have thought of that. That's a great idea. I define envy as being sad over someone else's success and happy over someone else's failures. And I struggle with it just like you do. Someone gets more recognition. Someone has, you know, more toys or nicer house or whatever. I mean, we all struggle with it. Someone's church is better. I mean, you know, pastors do this. Like their church only has Easter services on Easter. You know, I'm like, wow, that'd be really awesome. But, but you know, it... it, it <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a deadly thing for all of us, right? And so, this deadly thing, the seven deadlies, was a group of uh, theologians in the Middle Ages who put this together and decided that these were the sins that come in between us and God. Again, I need to explain this again because a lot of you grew up with the whole mortal venial thing and you, you're not sure how the whole thing works. One little tiny sin, one little tiny lie, let's just, one little tiny white lie is going to separate you from God for eternity. If the, the James says, if you break the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. It's a chain, okay? If you can't hold on, to, if the chain breaks one little link, you're done, okay? This is why, we'll talk about this in two weeks on Palm Sunday. This is why it's so important that you understand what the cross is all about and why Jesus did on the cross. Because he, he died for the little white lie, and he died for the lust, and he died for the adultery, and he died for the anger and the murder. He died for the inside and the outside. He died for all of it, and we're saved by grace, okay? Please understand that. The deadly sins are not the ones that are, are m- m- going to send you to hell faster than the other sins. The deadly sins are the ones that get in the way between us and our relationship with God. And they're the ones that will send us to hell. But on this earth, they, they, they make us live in hell on this earth. They're deadly. And, and, and envy is a perfect example. Proverb writer Solomon said, A satisfied heart will give life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I mean, you think about it. A, a, a lot of the other seven deadly sins, they're all, at least fun for a little while, right? You know, I mean, at least, at least there's some enjoyment in it. There is no enjoyment in envy from the very beginning. There is nothing fun about it. What color do we say envy is? Green, right? You're green with envy. Is that good? Well, yeah, on St. Patrick's Day and the Masters Tournament. But other than that, green is like sick, right? It's like, ooh, that's, I'm green with envy. Why is it then so popular. Why is it so? Why is it so deadly? Why is it so around us? Why is it? Do you, do you ever wonder why there are so many TV programs, so many websites, magazines that are devoted to indie? I mean, they really are. They're going to tell us all about these people that we want to be, you know, and tell us about the Kardashians so we can wish we were the Kardashians. And then there's a TMZ that tells us, well, by the way, the Kardashians' life is really horrible on the other side. And here's what goes on over here. And, and we just eat this stuff up. Why is that? It's, it's because of envy. It's because we wish we were them, and then when we find out that their life isn't that great, we're like, oh, that makes me feel better, which is just so messed up. And it reminded me of a classic Don Henley song, Don Henley from the Eagles, back in the day, called Dirty Laundry. You guys remember that song? Okay. Dirty Laundry, and it's about a newscaster digging up dirt on celebrities, and, uh, and it's just, it's just kinda, it just it kind of popped into my brain, and then I thought, oh, wait, we got to do this song, because You know, I mean, it's a classic, and it's the only song in recorded history that only has one chord through the whole song, so I'm gonna play keys. Thank you very much. Five years of piano lessons, mom, that was for you. Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's one chord through the whole song. It just kind of, that's all they could think of. I expect a Grammy for that one, Percy, when you're voting next time. okay my keys Um, yeah okay so so what's the deal with envy how do we deal with this envy thing really really important that you understand because it gets down deep inside of us over and over again and it gets in the way between us and God and it's ugly okay again green but it's not just the green part it's the ugly face when you think of ugly green envy you should think of this guy right here all right (laughs) because dr. Seuss wrote the Grinch, about a person who was consumed with envy, right? He was envious of what was going on down below in, in, the, in the city, and that's what made him the Grinch. That's the picture, okay? And a New Testament word for envy is to have an evil eye. So I've been thinking about this this week, and I think the whole face thing, it just really, really works. So what we're going to do, like we have been, is we're going to talk about what, what, what is wrong with envy, why it's deadly, and then how we can fix it, all right? So first, let's talk about the, four, the three ugly faces of envy. Envy damages, first of all, our self-esteem. Psychology Today did a big survey and found that really at its root, what envy is really about is a low self-esteem. And the lower your self-esteem, the more envious you are of other people. But the problem is that when you envy, all you're doing is breeding that low self-esteem. That's why it's deadly, because it's a low self-esteem issue, and it keeps coming back again, and you're just feeding this problem of not feeling as good as anybody else. How do they know that's true? They brought up this thing called transitional praise. All right. it's, trend, it's like a transitional phrase is but okay? Transitional praise is when you say something about someone that's nice But then you have to add but something is not so nice Ladies, she has really great hair but have you seen her nails? Okay, alright He makes a lot of money but I hear he doesn't have much integrity in his business right? She is a super mom but her house is a pigsty And why do we do that? Why do we do that? It's because, well, I mean, we want to pay a compliment. Genuinely, we do. But we want to make sure that that person is not any better than us. So we have to add the but down below so that we can bring them down below us at the same time. Isn't that fascinating? And don't we do that? I mean, we do that all the time. I want you to test yourself this week on the transitional praise thing, okay? Every time you use but in a description of someone, I don't mean when you call them one. I mean, like, when you use that transitional phrase in in a sentence, I want you to catch yourself... And ask yourself, why am I doing that? What, what is it about me that I just can't say she's a super mom, or she has great hair, or he makes a lot of money, or whatever it is that I want to say? Why do I need to throw the butt in there? Why do I need to drag them back down? Do I have an envy problem? Maybe it's a low self-esteem. All right, Envy, secondly, breeds discontentment. Aesop's fable Probably the most famous one, one you remember from grade school, the dog with the bone. Remember this? Dog's got the bone in his mouth, and he goes up to the water's edge, and he looks into the water, and what does he see? He sees another dog with a bone. He sees his own reflection, but he doesn't realize it, and he thinks it's another dog with a bone. And so in order to get that bone, because that bone looked better than the one that he had, which is what envy's all about, he drops his bone into the water and ends up with no bones. That's exactly What happens with envy? We end up wrecking our life. We end up with a deadly life, and it ruins our life, and we end up not even enjoying the things that we have. We're discontent. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, in all situations. And you might read that in Philippians and think, well, good for you, Paul. No, you don't understand. He's in jail. He's not, he's not writing this, you know, from Orange County. He's not writing this from the Kardashians. He's not, he's not writing this from some palatial estate where he's hanging out by the poolside, sipping on Mai Tais. He's in prison. Now, he has had that life. He has had the glamorous life. And now he has this other life. And he's been, people have tried to kill him, and he's been shipwrecked three times. And he's had, he's had to crazy both ends of it. And he says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. What does that mean? Content is... I'm okay with what I got, where I'm at, right now, doesn't matter. Rich or poor, you know, it doesn't matter. Jail or free, doesn't matter. I'm all good. And discontent and envy is at the heart of a whole mess of problems. I was thinking about this week. I'm doing a lot of teaching around the country and I'm working on this convention thing that I'm doing in July and writing some curriculum and and doing stuff for churches because I want to help churches try to figure out how to get the focus off of themselves and onto the people that are outside of their walls. Because honestly, the church is a big lifeboat and and we're not supposed to be hanging around having a party in our lifeboat. We're supposed to be plucking drowning people out of the water. That's what the church is supposed to be about. And the church in America is not doing it. It's the third or fourth largest mission field in the world right now because there are people all around us that need Jesus. And the churches, what are they doing? They're all looking at each other. They're having a party on the lifeboat, not realizing what they're supposed to be. And so a lot of times what I do is I go to Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, which is our theme story around here which is about this this young man who takes his dad's inheritance money and he goes off and he parties it away in the city. And when he parties away all his money, all his friends leave and he realizes he's destitute and he has nothing he can do except try to go home and maybe be a servant for his father because he knows his father's at least a fair man. And he goes home to the father and the father says, no, you're not gonna be a servant. You're my son. I've been waiting for you to come home. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm I'm so happy that you're here. And that's, that's God with his prodigal people. That's why God loves it when the church is about those outside of their walls. Right before that, the Bible says, there's more rejoicing over one lost sinner that comes than 99 people who don't need to repent. That's what the church is about. But that parable is not about the prodigal. I love the story, and if you're a prodigal, I want you to know you're welcome here. That's exactly what we're about. But that story was told to the older brother, the Pharisees, who were sitting around saying, well, wait a minute, why are you, why are you spending all your time with these people and not us religious people. They were saying, what about me? And the older brother in Luke 15 is, the, is the, actually the, the reason Jesus told the story. He's the one that was already in the family. He was already happily in the family, had a relationship with the father, but when the prodigal came home, uh, he, he wasn't real happy about it. He was angry that the father was so nice to this guy who had gone so far away and come back. And that's the picture of the church. What do you mean you don't want me to come at 10.30 on Sunday morning? It's my church. I should come. Why do I have to have all these extra services so these people can come for Easter? Because it's not about you. That's why. Because it's about those people out there. You see what I'm saying? And our church is great about this. But a lot of churches aren't. A lot of churches aren't willing to do those things because there's an, in, there's a, there's an envy thing going on inside of them. They, they don't want to be about somebody else. They want to be selfish. That's why it breeds discontent inside of us. Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Or as someone else said, if your neighbor's grass is greener, just remember that means they have to mow it more, right? And also be glad you're on this side of the grass so you can still see it. That's all that really matters, okay? Damages our self-esteem, it breeds discontent, and it's a denial of the goodness of God. This is the biggest problem. How do you feel as a parent, maybe this has never happened to you, if you have more than one kid, and one of your kids comes to you and says, it's not fair, has that ever happened to you, or is it just my family, okay, yeah, okay, well, what is that, what is that? I mean, when you're the parent, I mean, when you're the kid, you're like, oh, yeah, it's not fair. And you know what? It might not be fair. I, we, you know, we, we spoiled our baby of the family a lot more than we did the oldest kid in the family. My little sister was spoiled way more than I was. It wasn't fair. I get that. Okay. But when I go back to my parents and I say, hey, it's not fair, that what I'm saying to them is you didn't do a very good job. I'm not happy with you. When when, when you're a kid, and if you're a kid and you're listening to me, pay attention to this. And when you say it's not fair, you're saying to your parents, you didn't do good enough by me. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 20 about uh, this vineyard owner that went and hired these workers for the day. And he hired these workers early in the day, and he said, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which was a day's wage. And they said, yeah, great, we're glad to have a job, right? And they come along, and, and, they, and they jump in, and they do it. But then he goes out, and he hires some more people at, at 9 o'clock. And he goes out at noon and hires some more. And in the middle of the afternoon, he hires some more. And so eventually, there's this bunch of people, but most of them didn't work all day like some of them did. So he pays them in reverse order. And the people that had only been there for a couple of days, he paid them a full day's wage, a denarius, so that everybody else is like, well, this is going to be good. Maybe he's going to pay us more. But he doesn't. He pays everybody exactly the same, no matter how much they work. It's a great illustration of the kingdom. You know, there was a guy sitting next to, on the cross next to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you want to come and be in paradise? You come on in. He didn't, have, he didn't live for Jesus one minute of his life. And he's still in heaven. And we're going to be in heaven with people that, that walked with Jesus all of their life. And we're going to be in heaven with people that didn't. Okay, He was telling this story. The problem is, when he got down to the the ones that had been there all day, you know, they were the ones who said, wait a minute, this isn't fair. You paid everybody the same. But the master of the vineyard, and that's the key phrase here, said, friend, am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who I hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? I mean, ultimately, what Jesus is saying is God can do whatever he feels like doing. And sometimes, and a parent can feel whatever, do whatever they feel like doing. And sometimes God decides to give somebody more than somebody else. So deal with it. If God lets you be in charge someday, you can do things your own way. Until then, your name is not, right? God's name is I am, your name is not. Here's some pictures of some of our not stuff from last week. If you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to it. Your name is not. You're not the owner of the vineyard. If the owner of the vineyard decides to give your neighbors a boat and you don't get a boat, you don't need to worry about that because that's up to him. If you make somebody else's business go well, that's not your problem. That, that's a discontent. That's an envy issue. You see what the problem is here, and we've talked about this all the way through. There's a difference between the symptom and the sickness. The symptom is what, you, what is the seven deadly sin. It's envy. But the sickness is you don't really believe God's doing good enough by you. The sickness is you don't really believe that God has your best in mind and you don't think it's fair. Envy is basically turning to God and saying, It's not fair. You messed up. So let's talk about how to fix this problem. All right. And obviously, we're going to end talking about how the Holy Spirit has to do this. But let me talk about some of the things that we can do. Let me give you some facelifts for envy. Okay. We're going to stick with the whole face analogy. But first, a great story. This woman had a portrait painted of herself. Um, and, you know, the artist came in and painted this picture. And as he was doing the picture, the woman said, hey, by the way, when you're done with this, could you paint a, a nice diamond necklace around my neck? And the guy was like, sure. You want to go get it, put it on? She said, oh, no, I don't have one. I just want you to paint it on me. It's like, well, yeah, I can do that. Why would you want me to do that? She said, well, see, I'm not in very good health. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be around a lot longer, and my husband's young, and he'll probably end up getting remarried. And if he does, I just want to drive that woman crazy looking for that necklace. <laughs> Doesn't have anything to do with my story. This is a good one. Facelifts. First thing we do is we wash it, okay? we got to wash it. You want your face to change. You want it to not be green, ugly face, evil eye, envy. You wash it. You come clean with it. You need to admit before God that you've got a problem, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. All right, you go to AA, you go to celebrate recovery. First thing you need to do is walk in and say, hi, I'm Tim, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, obviously I'm an alcoholic. I have wine on the podium, right? That's just what you do. You walk in and you do that right up front. That's what you do with God. If you want to come clean, you got to wash your face. And by the way, we do have a Celebrate Recovery program here I want you to know about. It's basically uh, Saddleback Rick Warren put this 12-step program together, the AA program, and kind of made it a little bit more of a Christian feel to it. And that's what it is. And it's available for you on Friday nights if you want it. And we have a lot of things like that. We have grief share. We have divorce care. We have other things that we can help you with. Okay? But, but the first thing you've got to do is, is admit. You've just got to look in the mirror and admit that, that we're the problem. All right? And again, I want to go back to this blaming God thing. Andy Stanley says it really, really well. He said, once you've isolated the problem of your envy, the rest is simple. You take your old car, your small house, your hand-me-down dining room table, your 40-inch waist, your SD television, your kinky hair, your dead-end job, your poor health, your less-than-stellar SAT scores, whatever they are. You, you take them to the only one who can do anything about it. And once you get them all gathered up in one big pile of discontent, you pour your heart out to God all your frustration, all your discontent. You let him know that he could have done better by you. Go ahead and tell him how unhappy you've been because of the way he made you, the way he treated you. He can handle it, because you're right. He could have done that. I mean, after all, he did it for your sister and your brother-in-law. Heck, look what he allowed the pagans down the street to own or to drive or to look like. Then sum it up this way. Lord, to sum it up, I think you blew it. Once you have a conversation like that with him, he's okay with it. He really is. Once it comes out like that, then you can realize how ugly your face really is and you can start to do something about it. That's how this whole thing works. And Lord, I, I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not happy with it, but I've got a problem and I need to wash my face. All right? Number two, you smile more. All right? Even the Grinch, you got to admit, when he smiled, he looked better everybody, psychologists will tell you, everybody looks better when they smile. You just need to smile more. How do we do that? Well, if you want to really do it right, you do what the Bible says, and you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, the problem is we usually, when we're envious, we switch those things, don't we? We want to rejoice with those who weep, and we want to weep with those who rejoice. That's how that works, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at other people and say, this is great. I'm glad for you. I'm thanking God. I'm praising God for the fact that you got this new job, that you got this windfall, that you got married, that you got a baby, that, that whatever it is, I'm going I'm to rejoice with you. And when I can learn to rejoice with you, I mean, what the older brother should have done when his lost brother was found is he should have smiled. He should have been happy. He should have said, this is awesome. I want to have a party. I want to I join in. I want to do whatever I can do but he didn't because he was envious we've got to learn to smile more and then I would say if if it's a house problem you know you like you you just don't like your house and you wish you had a better house get involved in our homeless ministry and go ask somebody who's homeless if they'd like your house If it's your body that you're not happy with, go talk to a quadriplegic and find out if they'd like to trade you bodies. Because there's always somebody that's got it better than you, and there's always somebody that's got it worse than you. And one of the things I, 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 when I would have an envy problem, especially when I was raising my kids, you know, sometimes you would really think you needed to do it for your kids. You know, I just wish my kids could have a, you know, whatever bigger house, better house, you know, a swimming pool, or whatever. And this one lady I read wrote this story. She said, my, my sister married this guy who had a really good job and they ended up with this eight bedroom house in, in Dallas and swimming pool in the backyard and just this unbelievable estate. And she said, I got to admit, I was envious of it because we just had, you know, normal stuff. But, but I took my family to Dallas to visit one summer and we were swimming in the pool in the backyard. And my young son swam up to his aunt, my sister, and said, we have a swimming pool like this in our backyard. And I thought, no, we don't. What are you talking about? And he said, yeah, all we have to do is have daddy blow it up and put water in it. I mean, really, isn't that what it's like to a kid? They could care less. I mean, it doesn't matter. So don't be thinking about that. You just need to smile more. Smile that your sister has a big house with a swimming pool and go visit. Hang out. Swim in her pool, okay? It's all good. Just rejoice with those who rejoice. The third thing is you need to stay away from what causes a dirty green face, right? Okay? When I was a youngster, they told us that eating chocolate would cause acne. You remember this, okay? Any of you back in the old wives' tale days, okay? They they would tell us that you couldn't go swimming for an hour after you ate because you would get cramps and die. Some swimming pools literally would not be open from 12 to 1 just so that nobody could get cramps and die. Was that true? Absolutely not. Old wives' tale, no truth to it whatsoever. And guess what? Chocolate has nothing to do with acne either, okay? But if it did, I tell you, the girls in my high school did not eat chocolate, okay? That did not happen because they did not want a dirty face. They did not want acne, so they would not eat chocolate. I'm telling you, there are probably some neighborhoods that you ought to just stay out of, you know? Maybe some people that make you envious that you ought to just be, don't even be by them. Don't even be around them if it's possible, Peter says, lay aside all in these, and he he, he says it plural, okay? Not envy, all in these. That means you can be envious of somebody's looks, you can be envious of, of somebody's house, somebody's possessions, somebody's job, somebody's relationships. That can be plural. So how do you lay them aside? Well, one of the easy ways is stay away from the causes of the dirty green face. This is why I love Amazon. You know, if the president of Amazon is watching my sermon, I love you. I want to be the first droid guy, okay? I want to be the first, the, the, the first one where, the, you know, they deliver my package from the sky. That's what I want to have because I'm an Amazon guy. You know why I like Amazon? Because if I need a cord for my television, I can go on Amazon and I can order a cord for my television and it will get sent to my house. If I go to Best Buy to buy the cord for the television, I have to walk by all the new televisions. I have to walk by the new Xbox system. I have to walk by all the new Blu-ray players, right? I mean, that's horrible. I can't tell you the last time I've been to Best Buy. I don't go there. I don't read Envy People magazine, okay? There's no reason for me to read that. I don't care about the Kardashians, and I don't want to envy anybody. I'm not even going to mess with it. I don't go to the auto show. Don't give me tickets to the auto show. I'm not going, that's just like green heaven right there, man. I'm like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. That's, that's my deal. I'm not going to go in there, okay? Uh, you got to treat envy like whack-a-mole. You know that game? <laughs> that's what you got to do. Every time it re- raises up, you just whack it. Whack it back down. Just keep whacking it. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter's saying. Lay aside all envies. That literally in the Greek is whack-a-mole. Bam, bam, bam. No, lay aside. Don't go to those places. It'll make things a lot easier. Because, you know, here's what's fascinating about envy. As much as you think you want to be like somebody else, they think they want to be like somebody else too. That's the dumb thing of envy. I mean, I've been thinking about all week doing, you know, I believe I can fly. You know, the, you remember the Space Jam movie and, and, and how Michael Jordan at that point in history was like the, the center of the universe, Right? I mean, he, he was like the greatest basketball player of all time. And, you know, I mean, he was just, and now, and then he had a movie. I mean, it was just, they even had a slogan back then, right? Be like Mike. We want to be like Mike. They had a movie called Be Like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike except Mike. He went and played baseball. <laughs> right? Think about this. If that's your goal is to be like somebody else, I guarantee you their goal is to be like somebody else too. How about if we just wash our face and we just smile and rejoice with everybody else and we stay away from those places that cause discontent? And then the last thing is a spiritual thing that you would expect from me, but this is important. It's about turning your face towards God. Because, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like getting a a, a suntan. okay? It's like getting an S-O-N tan. It's like turning your face towards God and letting the sun shine down on your face, and it'll change it from green to the color that it's supposed to be. Yeah, maybe you don't have as much as your neighbor, but you know what? Maybe you don't have as much as your neighbor because you made some priorities that are different than your neighbor did. Maybe you turned down a better job so that you could stay home with your family because you didn't want to be gone as much. Maybe you and your family made some sacrifices because you wanted to, you know, get out of debt or give some things to God or sponsor a kid or adopt or do something else. See, here's the problem. When we envy things, we never really envy things that have eternal value. I, I here's, here's the easy way for you to judge this. Next time you're envious, next time you find yourself with a transitional phrase in your transitional praise, next time you're thinking, man, I wish I had that, man, I really want that, ask yourself, does this thing have any eternal value? I mean, 100 years from now, is it going to matter what I drove? Is it going to matter where I live? Is it going to matter what I look like? No. Matter of fact, somebody said it really well. Before you decide to keep up with the Joneses, you should probably figure out where they're going. Right? Because if they're following God, great. But if they're not following God, your purpose as a believer in Jesus is to follow God. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to focus on him. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Turn your face to him, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. He, he goes on and talks about the sparrows. The sparrows don't worry about this stuff. No sparrow is envious of somebody else's nest, right? They, they just live their life and they know that God is going to take care of them. That's how it works. So as we finish up these seven deadly sins, um, let me remind you of what we're doing. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, Jesus said. And again, this is not about after you die. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about after we die, and after we leave this life and go to the new heaven and the new, new earth. Trust me, I really, really am. But, but Jesus was saying that about now. He kept saying the kingdom of heaven is here. He he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is almost here, and when you die, you get to go there. He said the kingdom of heaven is here over and over again. This is about the kingdom of heaven being here now, and it's about the fact that the power of God is available for us now to be able to lay aside the seven deadly sins and to not live in the deadly anymore and to live in life and to have this abundant life. Paul said, we know that our old self was crucified So the body ruled by sin would be done away with. If you have Jesus, the body of sin is done away with. You're no longer a slave to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You can do this through the power of God, through the grace of Jesus. I I talked about this last week. You don't want to get to heaven and, and wake up and realize, man, I had all this power available to me. I could have used it way back then to conquer the deadlies in my life, to let God conquer the deadlies, and I didn't do it. And I lived miserably on earth, and now I'm in heaven. That's not what he wants. Now, the problem is there are two ways you can do this. You know, you can try to do it on your own, or you can do it through God, obviously. The do it on your own is the New Year's resolution. It's called behavior modification. And psychologists will tell you, behavior modification can work up to a certain degree. I can decide I'm gonna not, you know, I'm not gonna eat this anymore, I'm not gonna drink anymore, I'm gonna do these things. And behavior modification will work if you put the right things to it, but it's never really going to work well until you deal with the root of the problem, until you deal with what's going on in here. What is it that's making me wanna keep drinking? What is it that's making me wanna do these behaviors? What is it that's causing? Again, it's not about envy, it's about the fact that I'm not trusting in God. It's not about pride. It's that I'm not acknowledging that I'm not God. Those are the things that we've got to get to the root of, and then we can change. That's how it works. So what you really need is not behavior modification. It's a heart transformation. And a heart transformation is when you change, is when God changes who you are before it changes what you do. This is again why Jesus said, You've heard it say, don't murder. I'm telling you, you've got to change the inside. You've heard it said, Don't commit adultery. I'm saying, You've got to change the inside. It's always about the inside. That's what's going to happen. And what is that going to look like? Paul says, I say, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. We're never going to be perfect. But if we live by the Spirit, we don't have to live in the sinful nature anymore. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The fruit of the Spirit is, and the reason there are seven deadly sins is because they wanted to have less than the eight fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love and joy I mean, just just, just as I read this list, would you just imagine what it would be like to live in these instead of the deadly? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us continue to walk in the Spirit. The only way that we're going to fix the deadlies in our life is with the Spirit's power in our life. That's keeping in step with the Spirit. And what does that mean? For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Those came from God. They didn't come from you. They didn't come come from behavior modification. The spirit of power and love and self-discipline comes from the spirit of God living in us. And that is able, absolutely able to transform us. That's why Jesus came to give us life now. And it's not about later, it's about now. Eternity starts now. This is why Isaiah in the Old Testament wrote, Do you not know, have you not heard, Whenever the prophets would say it twice, there was a reason. The Lord, I am, is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. You may think it's not fair. You can ask him about it someday. He knows what's going on. And he gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary young men will stumble and fall but those who hope in the lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles they'll run and not grow weary they will walk and they will not faint guys the reason i've been talking about this for seven weeks is because i really do believe you can fly we're going to end up and do communion. Um, opportunity for you to realize that the power is really available inside of you to fly. Even young people are going to stumble and fall, going to grow tired and weary. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's your marriage that's tired and weary. Maybe it's your family. It's just these seven deadlies are getting to you. So I'm going to encourage you to write down whatever it is. The most important one, all of them, whatever. Maybe it's a certain situation. And as you leave, there are trash cans burning all around. And uh, and I want you to put that paper in and watch it smoke up and burn up and go up into the heavens and realize that you have the power to fly over what's going on in that trash can. Let it go. Understand that the power is available inside of you. Let's have communion and we'll pray. Lord God, I pray for the people that are in this room that maybe don't know if they have the power. Maybe they don't even know if they've ever really accepted you. or Maybe they know they haven't. They've just been waiting around for something and they don't know what. Or maybe they didn't know whether they believed or not. Lord, would you just let them crack the door of their heart open right now and say, Jesus, if you're out there, would you come in? Turn to him and say, Jesus, I really need help. I, I believe I can fly, but I, I, I got no wings on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I need your grace. I need your kingdom alive in me now. I need the power to have a heart transformation, not just behavior modification. And for those of us who do walk with you, Lord, let us walk closer. Let us walk in step with the Spirit. Help us to all figure out what that means more and more in our own lives as we strive for the fruits of the Spirit instead of the seven deadly sins. And as we know that we can do that through your power, Lord, through the power of grace that's available to us right now. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray.